Welcome to the Petite Polymath. This is your host, Britt Stone. And today we're going to get a little personal and talk about love and youth and Nicola Yoon's book, The Sun is Also a Star. Stay tuned. So the empath in me is weighed down by the current state of affairs in the country. Um, I need to turn the TV off or something because... It's physically making me ill. And yes, it's just it's just too much. And so, in the spirit of levity, I decided to reread a book that I read hmm, maybe a year and a half or so ago um, called The Sun is Also a Star by uh, Nicola Yoon. She's a Jamaican-American author. She married a Korean-American man. They have children. And she was very intentional about having characters that her children could identify with. Um, I have not divulged on here yet that I love young adult fiction. It's a bit of my uh, guilty pleasure. I consider it uh, the angst that I didn't get as an adolescent because I don't think I was that angsty. I mean, it's debatable because I did find some old journals and diaries from when I was in my early teens and they were so melodramatic and ridiculous. So maybe I had more angst than I thought, Uh, but at least as an adult, looking back, I didn't have a lot of angst. So I am a sucker for anything young adult that is dystopian or drama filled. I loved The O.C. I loved Gossip Girl. I love The Secret Life of the American Teenager. And I will read anything that is a series, usually direct, like directed towards young adults. Did I read Twilight in its completion? I did. Was it trash? Yes, but I enjoyed it. I also read every Harry Potter, which is, of course, not trash. The complete opposite of trash. Uh, I read the Allegiant series and all the Hunger Game trilogies. And this is a thing. Uh, so um, I was very excited to read this book. I have not read her book, Everything, Everything. Um, Maybe one day I'll get around to it. At any rate, though, The Sun is Also a Star, I read in a day. If I remember correctly, I might have been traveling when I read it. I ended up crying in the corner in my window seat. I love a window seat. People who are bigger than me probably hate me because I will always take the window and never relinquish it. I don't care how wide or tall you are in comparison to me. Because I like to be able to lean on something. Anyway, um, I had lots of feelings. And I think that uh, that was her intent. And she delivered. So to give a quick synopsis, the story is about uh, a character, Natasha, who is a rising senior uh, in a magnet school in New York City. She is Jamaican. And she is illegally in the States because her parents brought her over when she was a small child, like eight, eight years old or something like that. And because of something her father does, which you find out about later in the, in the book, um, they are going to be deported that night. And she is, of course, livid at her father and dealing with the complex feelings of going back to a place that should be home, but that hasn't been home for almost a decade now. And, you know, as a rising senior in high school, you have lots of feelings anyway. So it's a lot going on. At the same time, her life parallels with this uh, 
Korean-American boy, Daniel, who is on his way to an interview uh, for college. He is the same age as Natasha, and he doesn't want to be a doctor, which is what he is being told he's supposed to be, because that's what you do when you are a first-generation immigrant's child. You're a doctor or a lawyer. Um, But he wants to be a poet, to the chagrin of his parents. And to make things more complicated, Daniel has an older brother who used to take the heat off of him because he was, you know, the smart, could-do-no-wrong older son. But he's done something which has disgraced the family, which you kind of find out a little bit about when you meet Daniel. And the whole story is based on this idea of fate versus chance and a less than, I guess, probably 10 to 12 hour meeting of these two strangers and how they connect. Uh, For anyone who's a film nerd, like the whole series with Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke, like before Sunrise and... I'm going to botch them after sunset. I mean, there's so many. There's like three of them, and I always forget what the preposition is in front of each of them, but there's sunrise, sunset, midnight. They're all great, and they're set in uh, Vienna, the first one. The second one was set in Paris, and the third in Athens, I believe. Um, And there are, you know, walking conversations between these two people mainly in beautiful settings discussing life and the meaning thereof and love and relationships and connection and and what happens. And so I I kind of got that idea from this story. And it's actually being made into a film, which is what prompted me to reread it because I loved it anyway. And then also I got excited because Yara Shahidi is going to be playing Natasha and some very adorable young guy from, I think, what's that show called? That new show with Archie. Uh, like the Archie comic story that I have not watched but have read a lot about. At any rate, he plays a character in that show, and he is going to be playing Daniel. I think he's a half Korean, half white American guy. So at any rate, that got me excited too, because I then had to kind of refresh myself on the going-ons of the story. And so the story is done in little vignettes, uh, convert like either the mental thoughts of Daniel or Natasha or one of the secondary characters their one of their parents or another character that has some impact on on how they meet and then little blurbs about you know ast- like astrophysics or you know the neurobiology or neurochemical biology of love and like the feelings that we have Uh, that bond us to people because of neurotransmitters being released, which, of course, I should know enough about. Um, And it's just done very well. You can read it extremely fast. And it's fun. And I think encapsulates the, the, not adolescence, almost like the teetering on young adulthood of these two characters. Uh, I think it resonates a lot with me because you can't help but think of the first time that you felt these emotions as a teenager or young adult yourself, what love is and how idealistic you might be about it or how jaded, depending on the person. Natasha is a bit more jaded. Daniel's a little bit more idealistic. And just 
their attempts to convince the other person that their way of seeing the world is the right way um, are lots of fun and probably things that we continue to do even when we get older. I had a lot of fun making the playlist. It actually is one of the playlists that might be nearest to my heart because Natasha is a black girl who loves emo and loves angst. That resonates with me. I love the melancholy. The more melancholy, the better with music. And so she's a a lover of Nirvana and um, Chris Cornell, Soundgarden. Uh, I'm just blanking on the other band that, and it's a shame that I'm blanking on them. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Anyway, Yellow Leadbetter is the song. And the band's name will appear to me when I don't need it anymore. And I don't want to cheat and look it up because it just seems lame. Um, but anyway, uh, Pearl Jam. There we go. And so, I mean, I love me some 90s rock. So an alternative rock at that. Uh, and so I got to play with those themes along with um, just kind of songs that capture the feelings that they felt throughout the day. Um, the very last song on the playlist is Sigurosa's Andavari, which has a personal connection to me. Um, my first adult boyfriend, I remember uh, he was applying for a master's program in art. And we happened upon each other before we were dating, when I just realized that I liked him. When I realized I liked him was because I had my iPod back in the day when you didn't necessarily have to have your music on your phone, and I was telling him that Talk had just come out recently, and there was a song on it that sounded like love. And he was like, well, what is that supposed to sound like? So of course then you have to listen to it, and you have to share the earbuds to listen to the song. And I remember like giving him one of my earbuds, and I had the other one, and I just got really nervous, because I thought, oh goodness, like, this is, this is a very personal moment here. And my leg was just, like, doing, like, a dance underneath the table. I was so, I was shaking. I was so nervous. And I looked up, and he was just staring at me. And I was like, ah, this is it. The, these are feelings. This is what this is like. And I was, you know, I was a baby at that point. Um, and so I, of course, when that did not work out ultimately, I could not listen to Sigur Ross for almost a year. It was just too much. And then one day, I, I talked, crossed my mind, and I really wanted to listen to the album, and I, and I braved through, and I got to Andavari, and I was able to listen to it and not burst into tears, and I realized I had been healed, and I can tell the story and not cry, which means, clearly, I have moved on. That's exciting. Um, so putting that song on the playlist, you have a little piece of me now, because that had a, a lot of importance attached to it at the time. Uh, I think I also have Portishead on there, which, I mean, you know, can you be wrong when you pick Portishead? No, you cannot. Enough about music. I get really excited about that. Um, at any rate, so that those were the sorts of things that helped um, inform the playlist. It was those themes of the book. I also really enjoyed this idea about our parents... And the fact that we're not our parents and that they sometimes don't know what to do with us. Um, there's a part where Natasha, she's very smart. She's super 
you know, logical, rational, cerebral. She wants to be a data scientist. And her father is this very creative, artsy, aspiring actor. And he's afraid of her because he doesn't, he feels like this daughter that was his, you know, his pal and best friend and who he could impress and, and who was his number one fan. He felt like he didn't know who she was anymore because she was studying these super complicated ideas and subjects and they were way out of his league and he didn't even know if he knew who she was anymore or there then Daniel who's you know an, an, a first generation American and his immigrant parents they have struggled for him to have what he has and they're afraid that they've been too easy on him because he wants to do you know these artsy things that don't have any guarantee and and he doesn't seem as driven by the need to make money um you know, at one point when his father, who, you know, because of course he would, owns a black hair care store in Harlem, is bigoted about the fact that Daniel might have a thing for this black girl, Natasha. He's just like, you can't do that. I mean, that's just not, that's not the way we do things. And, and so, you know, you have this dad who's thinking, what did I do? How did I fail raising my children in this country? I feel like I'm losing them to this place. And I think that that's something that um, the older you get, when you, if you are an adult and you have had the pleasure of getting to know your parents as individuals, you realize how much of themselves that they put on to you and who you will become, what beliefs you'll have, what career you'll have, if you'll have a family, what sort of family you'll have and how you'll raise them. Um, there's so much that, that people put on to their children uh, and what they get back or what happens when maybe those expectations aren't met are, um, are very interesting. It's also a very quick read and it's fun and I needed this after the complete debacle dumpster fire of a new cycle that we've got. Um, yeah. I think the one other thing I wanted to say is, so I lived in New York City for two years and loved it. 2013, 2015 was my span. I was doing my, um, doing a, a fellowship there. And while I love returning to the city, you know, who knows, stranger things have happened. I could end back up there, but I don't anticipate that at least in the, in the immediate future. Uh, I thought that this was also kind of an homage to New York not just Manhattan, but the, but the boroughs. Uh, they didn't go to the Bronx, but... And just the things they saw and how they moved through the city, um, walking the streets, taking the subway, uh, being on a bus, taking a cab, all the things that I kind of miss living in Austin, uh, and the connections that are made. One thing that I loved about living in that city was that I honestly felt that anything was possible. You never knew whose paths you would cross with and how that would have impact on your life in the future. And the friendships I made in that city that were not uh, attached to my career, I mean, they were some of the most beautiful, serendipitous connections and in some of the funniest ways. Friends of friends, going to a meetup and meeting someone, just sitting at a bar by yourself and not being afraid to be alone, sitting on a train and looking up at someone literally running into someone on accident and then like backstepping that 
Um, you just never knew what was around the corner. And every time I go back, I'm always, I always am kind of infused with this excitement of the possibility of what could be. And I think that when we think about love, you know, at least the excitement of it, um, that's what we think about is this, this meeting of strangers that seem as if they're not. Uh, and so with that, I actually want to leave you with um, a quote that comes from the book. Uh, and I'm probably going to completely botch the Japanese phrase, but it's okay. There's a Japanese phrase that I like, koi no yokan. It doesn't mean love at first sight. It's closer to love at second sight. It's the feeling that the person who is in front of you, you will fall in love with. And I think that's just a very beautiful sort of idea that you see someone and in them you can see the future. I think that's a pretty amazing thing that humans are, are able to do um, maybe a few times in their lives. Um, so I'm going to take a quick break and then come back and tell you about th- something that's making me happy besides this book. Okay, I'm back. So I had to think about what was making me happy and then I remembered farmer's markets. I love a good farmer's market. I used to walk to the market in Union Square um, when I lived in New York with my first roommate, Danielle. We would get up in the morning and each carry our bags and walk to Union Square if we lived in Murray Hill, do our shopping of vegetables and pretty flowers and then come back and then have fun for the rest of the Saturday. Now, because I'm like 75 on the inside, I wake up on Saturday mornings if I don't have plans and I take my reusable bags and I go to the Lakeline Mall's parking lot where one of the Austin Farmer's Markets is. And I carry my own growlers and I get my ginger beer that has been flavored with something like cucumber mint or hibiscus. And I buy my meat and my produce for the week, occasionally bread, always in with breakfast tacos because that's what one does in Austin. And it makes me feel like I am, you know, like thumbing my nose at the man and also getting good eats and everybody's happy. So that's what I got. This was the Petite Polymath from the Mind of Britstone. Thanks for listening. Until next time.